and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and thank you for joining our show today as we make the connections. So last week was Insurrection Week. This week has been Impeachment Week. And next week will be inauguration of our new president and vice president, Biden and Harris. And we also will have a dear leader send-off of Trump with a red carpet 21-gun salute as he goes off in Air Force One. That is if he doesn't uh, call out martial law and as was advised to him by several people, including our very own pillow man. So Trump's giving us a collective migraine. And sometimes it feels like we all just want to be in a quiet, dark room and make the painful process that is head-splitting just settle down. And on the other hand, we do want to process it all and figure it out. Um, So today we're going to start doing that. Um, Last Saturday, we talked about truth. We talked about mediated truth. how that's gathered from our media sources, especially our social media, that can become echo chambers that create boatloads of endorphins and excitement and can even be an addiction, giving some a sense of belonging that can become more important than factual, provable, shared truth. So we asked the question last week, how do we navigate separate truths? And this is part two today. And on our radio show today, we're going to be talking about the big lie. What was the big lie that ultimately instigated the insurrection and the roots of racism in that lie? And who are these people? They're not going to be going away after the inauguration. Um, We've got a lot ahead and we've got a lot to process and we have a lot to talk about. So I'm bringing back uh, Rebecca Hill, who's the chief development officer at St. Coletta in greater Washington, D.C., and I also have a communications specialist uh, who – and also does national and Twin Cities uh, acting and she's a dear friend as well. Both of these are dear friends. This is uh, – Beth Chaplin will be also joining us today. So welcome, you two. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for Good having us. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. So, Beck, Rebecca, tell me about D.C. and life in the green zone. You're right there. You work in D.C. You live in the greater D.C. area in northern Virginia. Um, what's life like there right now? Well, downtown is pretty much an armed camp now. It's I, I don't think I've ever seen it this way. And um, my family moved to DC in 1968, um, even just after just after the riots um, in 1968, and it wasn't this bad then. Um, so yeah, down you cannot go on the mall. It is fenced off. Um, the Capitol is surrounded by eight-foot fences with razor wire. The White House has got a, a parameter around it that's very large, um, takes up several blocks into office buildings, etc. cetera. Uh, and, you know, my office is across from where the National Guard musters. Um, I cannot use my GPS uh, until I'm about three miles away from the armory because they've clearly jammed it around there because uh, they clearly are – mean business. How how are families doing that live in D.C.? You know, a lot of the families that I know who have children are, are are trying to find a cabin or something to rent and to get out of town because Washington, D.C. schools are closed through Wednesday. So they are trying to actually leave town. Um, people who live in the District of Columbia, I would say most of the families I know have children are trying to get out of town if they can. I understand we have 
about four times as many military in D.C. than we have in um, in in all of the Middle East right now, which is right. It, it truly is a green zone. Yeah. And it just must feel different just to have all the military on every corner and and everywhere you look. Right there, and their and their big trucks are blocking things. Their checkpoints. Um, and starting on Tuesday morning at 6 a.m., you will no longer be able to cross the bridges that go from uh, Virginia into the District of Columbia. So that will go on for, for 48 hours. Well, Rebecca, you had suggested a wonderful article for us to talk about this week. And it is tremendous, and I, I recommend to the audience, we're not going to do justice to the whole article. Today we'll, we'll bring up highlights, but I highly recommend it. It's The American Abyss. It uh, was featured in the New York Times. It's by Timothy Snyder. It came out on January 9th. Um, and they talk about the historical context of, of looking at the big lie. And the big lie really is that, of course, Trump claimed on Election Day that he'd won. And, and then it steadily became even bigger. You know, suddenly his victory was a landslide. And all the conspiracies that, that were all around it, the 60 law uh, going to court, the redoing over and over again, um, didn't sway, dissuade anyone. People just believed them. Um, and it takes a lot of work to educate people against what they want to believe and what the, they mm-hmm. are already believe or what others around them believe, or whatever makes sense to, to their choices. There's this groundswell. But I think what was really interesting to me was looking at the gamers and the breakers. Um, so tell me a little bit about what, what you thought about that, Rebecca. Uh, well, in the article, you know, he talks about how people who are gamers are going to use the lie not because they believe the lie. So he gave the example of Mitch McConnell using the lie, you know, using the Trump presidency, though he probably doesn't really care for him, to get his agenda passed, mm-hmm. to fill all these judgeships, et cetera, et cetera. Gerrymandering and you know, you know, all, all of that. Good we know thing. a lot of Republicans who are kind of middle of the road, you know, kind of they aren't they aren't big fans of Trump, but they use this to push their agenda, and they kept quiet about a lot of things that, you know, we were all surprised about. And then they talk about the breakers, people like Hawley and Cruz, who are willing to completely break the system for their own power needs because, you know, to serve their own ambition. And, you know, he was saying that if the gamers in the GOP do not step up and stop this, that, you know, our democracy is in very real danger. And uh, so I thought that was, you know, truly fascinating that, uh, and, and also frightening. Well, and you, you look at how empowered he has created his minions, and they really believe the election was stolen. And well, he prepared it for absolutely. months. I mean, back in April, he kept saying, if I lose, it'll be because they stole it from me. Well, and, and with that, then then how can the Congress be allowed to move forward? You know, the, it, it's sort of a might for right 
uh, it, it almost had a you know throne of what is that that uh, that television series the throne of swords what is it uh, yeah Game of Thrones Game of Thrones <laughs> whatever it is <laughs> they're, they're out there um, dressed in these crazy outfits as well there's this sort of like taking on the the hero concept of yes. of becoming bigger than and and owning the capital uh, over our leaders it's you know it's being part of something larger than you mm-hmm. so i think that that's part of the attraction to some people who you know feel like they need that they need a cause um which also they say attracts you know sort of these former these retired military people well, it was interesting. Yeah, well, there was military, police, right. firefighters. Mm-hmm. And people the, who want to be part of something larger than themselves and feel like they're fighting for a cause. But they're we, drawn to these things. But we talked last week that there was sort of a, well, it's not going to get that bad. There was, there was a blind eye to you know mm-hmm. this white supremacy being really dangerous. And, and we saw a lot of Republicans really shook uh, I don't think they expected it to get to that level. On the other right. hand, you know, they've unleashed it. Yes, they didn't think it would be. They, they thought, I think, that they could control it. That we, The gamers think they can game the system and they can use these people and this lie. And then it got out of their control. And it comes down to like this post-truth and the post, you know, it's not really truth. It's what you, you want to believe. It, it invites this sort of big myth. And, and then spectacle becomes more important than facts and faith in, in this great leader and what he's going to bring for them um, has a, a mythic proportion. And we see this in the 1920s in Germany. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see this same thing with Hitler. You know, we see this same kind of creating myths. And just keeping repeating them until they become accepted truths. And and it's a lie that has um, – that just keeps – there's no way to defend it. Just, there's, no, there's no truth. There's no shared reality that you can go, uh, but we had court cases and we did recounts. And Republicans are telling this to the, to the minions and somehow – we're the crazy ones, you know. Well, you know, I think that I think we have to look all the way, and, and he doesn't get into this in the article, but I think we need to look all the way back to the fact that this yeah. begins with Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. This begins with Ronald Reagan saying that the government is, you know, your worst enemy. You right. know, that they knock on the door and it's bad news because it's the government, and saying that mistrust of government and the Republican Party has been using that and saying government is bad, demonizing government workers. Um, federal employees, you know, and saying how terrible it is for the last 40 years. Well, he does. And so we've created a a distrust in in, in government. Beth, you're going to say something. Go for it. Oh, I agree completely with Rebecca that this started long before the ascension of Donald Trump, that if you say it loud enough, long enough, repeatedly enough, people will believe it. And it it didn't start with him. Mm. It just Mm. has sown the seeds of this. It is kind of amazing, though. I mean, in the article, he does go on to say that, imagine all the people who must have been in on such a plot and all the people Mm -hmm. who have to work on the cover-ups. I mean, you've got people at the... 
who were who were at the voting. You've got elected officials. You've got Homeland Security. You know all these government institutions, the poll workers. All of these folks had to be in on it. I mean, that you know, a- humans are just not that good at keeping secrets. <laughs> <I> mean- <laughs> Yes, they are. I mean, you know, I mean, if you ever had a secret with a group of friends, somebody tells, you know, I mean, it just happens. <laughs> so it is hard to swallow. I mean, that that they can take in it's this absurdity and take in the unreliable sources um, and, and not use any sense of logic. You know, why – how can it be more important to have this feeling versus really confront reality? Well, even Trump-appointed judges were in on it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I have not challenged friends on that, but we'll see. It, it really takes a lot. Um, they have to swallow a lot to deny that reality. Well, and if you don't completely buy into him and, and he does a tweet or he gets mad – Look! Look what happened to poor Lindsey Graham. I mean, he's running for his life in, oh. in the airport, and he was and one of the terrible. most. He was one of the most loyal defenders of him for years. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't. Well, he's like a him. gamer. He's a complete gamer. Yeah. I mean, Lindsey Graham is a gamer. Yeah. He was a never Trumper to begin with, and said, "If we elect Donald Trump, we'll get what we deserve." And now I mm-hmm. feel like Lindsey Graham is getting what he deserves mm-hmm. because he, you know, he has his fingers in the wind always. Well, with I mean, that, he does. with that, I gotta, I gotta take a break. But when we come back, um, I'd like to go a little deeper in the dive of the lie, and what is at the bedrock of the lie that really is the split. I think um, that needs to be explored. So stay with us. Uh, we're going to continue to explore the big lie. We'll be right back. to Connections Radio Show. I'm Lori Fitz, and we have some great guests today. We have Beth Chaplin, who is a communications specialist, and Rebecca Hill, who is the Chief Development Officer at St. Coletta of Greater Washington, D.C. And last segment and this segment, we're talking about The American Abyss, the New York Times article by Timothy Snyder. I highly recommend it. And we're talking about the big lie uh, and how that's impacting us moving forward and um, figuring out how to all get along <laughs> eventually. So I want to share a, a piece from that article that really moved me. On the surface, a conspiracy theory makes its victim look strong. It sees Trump as resisting Democrats, the Republicans, the deep state, the pedophiles, the Satanists. More profoundly, however, it inverts the position of the strong and the weak. Trump's focus on alleged irregularities and contested states comes down to cities where black people live and vote. At bottom, a fantasy of fraud is that a a crime committed by black people against white people. It's not just that the electoral fraud of African-Americans against Donald Trump never happened. It's that it's the very opposite of what happened. In 2020 and in every American election, as always, black people waited longer than others to vote, were more likely to have their votes challenged. They were more likely to be suffering or dying from COVID-19 and less likely to be able to take time away from work. The historical protection of their right by vote was removed by the Supreme Court in 2013 ruling of Shelby County versus Holder. And the states have rushed to pass measures of a kind that historically reduce voting by the poor and communities of color. 
So the big lie really comes back to our original sin starting in 1619. Absolutely. And seen the Confederate flags. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, when I saw the Confederate flag, the first thing I thought of was, and wasn't it Trump trying to um, have a veto against the defense bill because he wanted to keep the names of the Confederate bases? I mean, yes. it, yeah. it's just right there, you know, front and center. Uh, and, and watching the supremacists just um, just take over. Uh, but Rebecca, I'd love to have you share a little bit about how this can happen. In a, what Virginia history was like when you were being taught in, in schools way back when? How does well, you the know, Confederacy – because we know the Confederate flag really uh, wasn't the Confederate flag of the – I mean it was one used during Jim Crow to celebrate Confederacy. It was the battle flag. Yeah, it wasn't exactly. The, one, with the stars and bars that we see is the battle flag. It's not the – there's a different flag, which they also had with them, mm-hmm. of the Confederate states. Um, but yeah, you know, the noble cause thing, and I don't think unless you had been raised in the South that you understand how the Civil War is taught in Southern states. Um, in Southern states, um, the Civil War, the, the, that whole idea of the noble cause is actually, you know, really, it permeates the education. You're taught that it's not, the Civil War was not fought over slavery, that it was fought over states' rights. And, these, uh, I, I can tell you in fourth grade, all those Stonewall Jackson, all those, uh, all those Confederate generals were, were revered. There were chapters on them in our fourth grade history books because they were Virginians. And Lee, oh my gosh, he was like a huge, wonderful, you know, we we're told what a wonderful man he was and how kind he was. And so it's a way to whitewash the past literally <laughs> literally whitewash the past so that you do not so that we don't need to feel guilty about this and you know i growing up that's how my parents who were both grew up in the south felt my great grandfather fought in the civil war um i had his civil war diary which i've recently donated to the archives in north carolina because he was from north carolina and you know he he did, you know he kept a beard said he was not going to cut his beard until the confederacy won so he never cut his beard for the rest of his life named his daughter after the bonnie dixie flag and that was all thought of sort of my family's sort of oh cute lore you know and my mother would say things well like you know some slave owners were were kind to their slaves like how would she know <laughs> right you know how do you know but oh, this is the thing but yeah. this is the thing that southerners tell themselves mm-hmm. to make it feel like well my state and my ancestors weren't terrible people. And so, you know, I understand that, 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 that it's very hard for a lot of Southerners to let that go because they have been indoctrinated all their lives. With and, and yet with that, there's also the fear. And we look at Black Lives Matter and the difference it made with making sure that there wasn't going to be insurrection during the Black Lives Matter. And that was, you know, one of the thoughts is this is going to, you know, move into violence when it was a peaceful march. I mean, there's this cognitive dissonance that goes on that, you know, yes, we're not that bad of people, but there's also the initial reaction of fear and and, uh, creating a lot more uh, military out there than we saw when the white supremacists were coming. Well, that's part of the the, the part of the the, the Southern thing, too, Mm -hmm. is that, you know, those black people are dangerous. Right. 
You know, those black people are dangerous. They're criminals. You know, you never know what they're going to do. I mean, that has been part of, of Jim Crow all along. And yet, isn't it interesting? It was a black uh, Capitol police officer that that saved uh, Pence's life. Oh, of course it was. I mean, he was just doing his duty. I mean, all all that, that that supremacist, they're being used as well by Donald Trump, honestly. Um, you know, yes. I mean – they're being used by him as well. He's just taking the opportunity. He's just a very good opportunist. I also thought it was interesting with Senator James Lankford, who um, was another nice man with a blind spot that, that speaks to this, where he apologizes um, that he didn't realize that uh, this was really uh, – he didn't realize that the, the racist implications of aiming to prevent electoral votes in swing states from being certified. He, he just oh, – I didn't see that that was something against black people. And and at least he did apologize. But, but yes. you, you were mentioning earlier you can see how this could be a blind spot. Yeah, I do because – you know, here in Virginia, we had a whole thing a few years ago with our governor had, you know, there was a picture of him in blackface in a yearbook, you know, back, I don't mm-hmm. know, back in the early 80s. And also, uh, it turns out the attorney general had also dressed up as Michael Jackson at some point in blackface as, as a, you know, as a college kid. And, you know, they claimed they didn't know it was wrong. And I understand that. I, they went to school in Virginia. You, They would not have been taught that that was anything offensive. You know, it just would not have been part of your education at all. Slavery was just sort of wished over. Mm. And, um, and and it was the Civil War was not about that. You know, that's what they're that's what they were taught. Well, I do give him credit because he did back a bill um, in favor of police reform. And so he is. And that was after the George Floyd uh, and he did want to step up at that point, and he does come from a state. Oklahoma has a history of systemic racism. But I can appreciate how people think it's very convenient. You know, is this is he gaming it? You know, as we talked about earlier, is there you know a gaming versus uh, a breaking it? Um, may, I can I can feel for him, and I'm glad that he stood up and apologized. But I can also appreciate that how the black constituents may feel and may not want to accept that apology. And I think we don't know how how they're going to feel. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, you know, in Virginia, when the governor was shown with blackface, the black constituents did not want him to resign, and he didn't. And I will say he has gone a huge way. Um, and he said he was going to pledge to, you know, go all this way to, to make equality. And he's done all this stuff that has really, you know, he's the one who's taken down all the Confederate uh, statues in, in Richmond. And, you know, he's had to fight court cases to do that. So I, I think we have to allow people to to learn. Mm-hmm. I think that some people will learn quickly and some people will have a hard time because it will mean letting go of a lot of what they think is their identity. And it gets back to what they believe, what they want to believe, what their friends believe. And another good book I will recommend on this subject is mm-hmm. Mitch Landrieu, who is the uh, you know from the former mayor of New Orleans, um, has written a book about this because he took down this, the Confederate statues in New Orleans, and he wrote a book about growing up in New Orleans and having seen these and never these it never occurring to him that these were terrible statues, hmm. and that and uh, and, so and it reveals his own. That. Aha moments. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And revealed his own aha moment. And, you know, there they had to take them down in the dead of night because people armed people came out complaining that he was going to take down these statues. 
So um, I, I would say that's another great. I think people need or can learn and change their minds because. But I think we have to we have to put that learning out there and we have to give them the opportunity and create the space. Yeah, and we need to change our curriculums in schools. Yes, desperately. Yes. And with that, I've got to go to break again. Um, Our next segment, we're going to continue uh, looking at some of the psychosis of Donald Trump uh, and his loyalists. Uh, But again, also, what? why has this happened? What do we need to do? How do we live with this moving forward? So stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host, and we're talking about the big lie, insurrectionists, and I've got great folks that are sharing their ideas and thoughts with us. I've got Beth Chaplin, who is a communications specialist, and Rebecca Hill, who is the chief development officer at St. Coletta in greater Washington, D.C. area. So when we're looking at these insurrectionists, the thing that I keep coming back to is, who are these people? And they're not all geeky guys living in their parents' basement with no life, no job, watching the Game of Thrones and texting conspiracy theories to friends and family. There are CEOs. They're doctors. They're police, firefighters, military. There's neighbors, friends, relatives. The guy with the horns who got arrested started asking for organic food because he felt the prison needed to feed him organic food. Daughters are turning in their mothers. Firefighters used fire extinguishers to throw at policemen. Who are these people and what attracts them to Trump is the question that I have. And Beth, I know that you um, you did some research, informal research, but wanted to explore who are these people and what do they believe. What did you find? Yes. And I, I have struggled for the last four years how to connect with my friends who support something that appalls me. Um, And so when you asked me to come back this week, I thought, I can't just talk about, quote, these people or those people Mm -hmm. without talking to my friends who are part of those people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I personally want to get away from that language, but Mm -hmm. it's how we understand the current reality. Um, And I I talked to five or six friends who are Trump supporters. One is an evangelical Christian um, who is definitely pro-life, believes that the end times are coming. She believes in the inerrancy of the Bible, um, applauds the move of Jerusalem as the capital because that is definitely part of the end times. Um, and what was most shocking to me was her view that, well, the end times are coming, so the environment and climate change don't matter. So basically we can trash the earth because who cares? Yeah, because it's not going to matter anyway. So what the um, heck? Let's just drill for another oil. Another friend, um, I, would, I would put a few friends in the category of just avid Trump fans. Mm-hmm. Avid um, Would you call them fans or uh, fanatics? <laughs> you know, I, uh, I don't want to characterize sure, that I, I way. appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, they, they went to a couple of rallies, uh-huh. for sure. Um, 
So they're definitely fans. Um, and I had really the best conversation because I asked follow-up questions and we had some discussions in writing. Um, is a white male, his, he characterized himself as a white male with some dollars. Um, interpret that how you will. Mm-hmm. So I could, you know, dig into what they said and we'd all be, you know, just our heads would spin. But what I came away with is overall, aside from a few of the smaller beliefs, overall, they have a sense that the Democrats are against them. And it struck me that that is a mirror image of how I feel about Trump Republicans. Mm-hmm that I feel they are against us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't... And they would be appalled at, the, at classifying them as racists. Unless you look at Ibram Kendi's definition in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, you're either an anti-racist or you're not. Right. And it focuses on policies, not personalities. Um, but they would be appalled at being classified as a racist, many of them, um, because there are a lot of Trump Republicans that would not characterize themselves as white supremacists. And, and I don't think as, they necessarily as, are. I think they're defensive about yes. um, anything that you can bring up that may have right. them see that they have privilege. And they, exactly. I find exactly. a, a fighting back of you don't understand my life. I've not had privilege, without right. taking right. it to the next step. I've I've struggled, so I can appreciate and have empathy for someone else who may have struggled as well. Right, right. And indeed, you brought up the word empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, the good, the really great conversation I had was he believes Democrats value empathy over reality. And that, again, it makes my head spin. It immediately makes me want to turn the tables and debate. I grew up in a Republican family. We talked politics all the time. So from a young age, I have enjoyed discussing politics. It has gotten, of course, increasingly difficult in the age of Trump mm-hmm. because our uh, we believe in in, in my view, we believe in facts, and they believe in lies. But that's, that's not going to convince them. And when they come on to a social media discussion, if I put myself, and it's challenging to put myself in their shoes, if I put myself in their shoes, I would say, well, why would I come and talk to you if you're just going to call me a racist? Right. Conversation and connection stops. Right. right there. And I'm not saying I've risen above. I've been guilty of that, too. Well, but I think the what, question is, how do we move forward? What do we do with that? Well, I think when we confront someone on their beliefs, it, it rouses resistance. I mean, you're, yes. you're touching something very close and near and dear. This is what I believe. So anything that feels like a confrontation of you're wrong and I'm right, um, it gets back to that black-white issue. Um, exactly. 
and I think looking at how to change the circumstance that led to those beliefs, you know, being able to look at shared stories that helps redirect, I think is one way of looking at not the person, but just as Becky was sharing, um, Rebecca was sharing in the last segment in terms of, you know, where did they come from? What what was their school? What was their education? You know, how can right. we create a space for understanding that that's, you know, their school, their family, their church all had this as a belief and it, it creates the blind spot or the unconscious bias or – you know, however you want to phrase that, it, our brain works that way. How do you rewire brain takes a lot of pausing and time. Um, well, in our education system, how do we better teach critical thinking? Right, right. Because that's the heart of being able to. So, I, you know, I was a Republican because my dad was a Republican. Mm-hmm. I respect and love my father. So he must be right. Um, and he's right about many of things still. Um But I also grew up with the influence of my grandmother, who is an evangelical Christian, born again. And so I eventually, from life circumstances, I mean, you can't be, you can't come out as a lesbian and believe in the inerrancy of the Bible. There is a cognitive dissonance Mm -hmm. within Mm -hmm. that forces one. And so I read a lot of theology. Um, and opened my mind to different interpretations and ways of thinking because I had a good education and I was taught critical thinking. So I was able to explore uh, other belief systems and other, and suddenly, long story short, suddenly the Republican tenets dogma and the religious dogma didn't make sense to me anymore. And And I don't know how to open people's minds to at least allow opposing viewpoints in. How do we do that? Well, it's hard when there's a lot of concrete, you know, and um, when there's absolute concrete thinking, Mm -hmm. um, there's a tendency, I think, to bulldoze over reality um, and just call the narrative as false. And, and not have yeah. any receptivity because there's such a concrete, I am right, you are wrong. Even if it's delusional, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm going to double down and, and make it even more right because you're yeah. coming yep. close to my belief system and I'm only going to get right. – and, and I think that you can start to find some shared space, especially with friends. But there are many Trumps out there that, that I think you just have to set firm boundaries and even limit contact. Yeah, oh, for sure. Definitely. I I think that that one of these things people are longing for and, um, you know, because so many of them are angry. I think they're longing for certainty. Yeah. And I think a lot of evangelical Christians, that's one of the things that draws them to evangelical Christianity is what's going to – it's certain. There's a whole certain amount of rules and it's written in this book. And if we just follow this, everything, you know, we're going to be promised this eternal reward. I mean, you know, I'm an Episcopalian. You know, I'm not that I'm I'm completely Christian, but I I just don't believe in the certainty because ambiguity – and uncertainty is a very difficult place to live. Mm-hmm. And I think we also have to remember that a lot of the people in, have been left behind in, in the last 40 years. Inequality has gotten worse. Um, the Republican Party has 
used a lot of these culture wars against abortion and and gay marriage and all that to to foist up those get those of evangelicals really voting on their sides but a lot of those people sitting in those pews are in a much worse financial place than they were 40 years ago and so and then and think how long cell phones smartphones 2009 mm-hmm. think how the world has changed yeah. so quickly and and you know i think a lot of these people they're angry and they're they feel very powerless and so certainty is when you're feeling powerless and someone who you know can be certain is really attractive comforting and I think comforting it's, even. it's very comforting yeah, right yeah. you know yeah, and, and that's so. also why they're so violent is because angry people who feel powerless are violent mm-hmm. you know and people are shocked that they're they're angry at the government yeah. you know and and but they're the same people who are appalled when people and other riots in the city will, will loot and they're like well, why would they destroy businesses well why would you destroy the capital the same reason yeah people feel powerless you know and yeah. then when they're powerless and angry they turn to violence and part of me believes that it's going to take it, it needs to take action with our new president and vice president to start moving to the next chapter and that when we start to see the actions – now, not everyone's – there's going to be folks I think that are going to have a difficult time and fight him every <laughs> inch of the way. Oh, yeah. But oh, yeah. if we can have at least some success – we have 80 percent of the population has not done well in the last 40 years. Uh, and I think we had some good uh, activities and, and 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 hopes and dreams, and we wanted to support, especially with our health care, those in most need. But we have to look at the middle folks that have not, you know, been part of the train of success. Trickle down. I think yep. we should all be able to agree did not work, and we have no. to relook at that economy. Yeah, wealth is very sticky. It gets stuck on the way down. Yes, you know, <laughs> yes, it does. It doesn't end where it should. With that, I got. I know we have to take a, a break, um, but we're going to come back and, and have some survival uh, mechanisms that we'll 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 talk about as well. So stay with us Great. as we move into the inauguration and a new chapter. What does that look like, and and what can we do to keep ourselves sane and to support something bigger and better with hope? So stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Lori Fitz, and I have great guests today, Beth Chaplin, who is a communication specialist, Rebecca Hill, who is the Chief Development Officer at St. Coletta of Greater Washington, D.C. area. We've talked about uh, the crazy weeks we've had. Last week, we talked about mediated reality and truth. This week, we've been talking about the big lie and how supporters get pulled into that big lie. How do we move forward going into the inauguration and our next chapter in our, our history? Along with dealing with the stress of this next week as we're on pins and needles, and we've got also a pandemic that we haven't even mentioned yet. That is the worst <laughs> that it's ever been and getting worse. So we only have a few minutes, but I did want to get from both um, both of my guests today some of their thoughts about how do we just take care of ourselves in this next week? Um, what are we doing to stay the course throughout the next four days, which keeps bringing in new crisis and new crisis? And how do we process it all? So I'd love to have just each of you share, what are you doing to keep sane in the next few days? And I'll, I'll start with you, Beth. 
Um, I, I realize that I can speak about this racist and anger with some calm mm-hmm. um, because my privilege allows me to easily transition from anger to um, positivity. That being, and I've been as angry as anybody, trust me. Mm-hmm. Um, but in order to get through, we all have to honor our truth and our needs. When we need to, we need to get off the roller coaster, get off the emotional roller coaster, disengage when we need to, when it affects our mental health um, and emotional well-being. We just need to shut it off. Um, and this is from, you know, therapy traditions. We also need to learn to recognize our triggers. When we are triggered, stop, don't react to save our mental health. And then in the big picture, focus on what we want, not what we fear. Yeah. Rebecca, focus on a positive image. Go ahead. Rebecca, how are you thinking the days ahead living in the greater D.C. area? Well, you know, no one's going downtown. Yeah. I mean, you know, because we're, they're, they're just, yeah. just it's, they don't need that. They don't, right. they need us all to work virtually. So on a certain sense, the pandemic has prepared us all to keep their things going and not having to get to offices, et cetera, and keep the government going. So that's, that's great. Um, you know, I think you just kind of have to take it day to day because most of us yeah. are not in a position to do anything about what's going to happen. You know, we don't have relatives that we can keep from, you know, I mean, we just, we just can't do anything besides sit on the sidelines and watch. And so, you know, I think you just kind of have to take it day to day and, you know, and, and, you know, turn off the television and the news and get, put the phone down when it, you know, because I, I find myself picking up the phone going, oh, my gosh, what's happening? I mean, I'm yeah. longing for government to be boring. Again. Yes, Just yes, me longing too. for yes. government to yes. be deadly dull. So, um, you know, and hope that we can get through Wednesday um, so that maybe we can all kind of take a little sigh and that let's hope that our leaders take a, you know, take a reset button. And I think as mm-hmm. as people, we need to take – Everybody needs to take a reset button and we need to stop looking at each other from armed camps and um, look at each other and and really try to make some connections on the things that we can make connections on. Absolutely. You know, that people need vaccines and, you know, like we need to make connections and move forward and begin to start pulling down these walls that have been erected in the last 40 years and stop demonizing people and, um, you know, using, you know, calling them names. This is not helping us. Mm -hmm. The dehumanizing language is really, it's not helping us see each other. It's also my hope that some of this is a backlash that propels us forward to a better place and that we, we will be a majority minority country and we will have multicultural leaders and we will take leadership and solutions and people with experience in a new way. So I have to hold on to hope. Hope is what's driving me forward as well. And, and Amen, as you girl. said, Beth, Amen you know, what's our image? What, what do we want to hold on to for our future? And what intention do I need to do to move towards that? Thank you mm-hmm. both. I really appreciate you both being here today. And thank you for all who joined us in our conversation today uh, and helped making the connection. And good luck in the week ahead.